Stephanie. I'm one of the pastors here at Mill City. I see a few new faces. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Um, I heard that the best way to stay cool is to sit on the edge of your seat and listen to every word that the person on the stage is saying. I, it's, I don't know if it's been proven, but I heard that's true. So just, you know. I've also heard that if you laugh at the jokes and if you give any sort of like verbal affirmation like, amen, that sounds right, that also keeps you kind of cool, you know? Thank we. See, just keep trying it and we'll do a survey later, see if it worked. We've uh, been in a conversation for the last few weeks, actually since Easter, called Led by Jesus. It came on the heels of our Lenten conversation leading up to Easter that was about what it means for Jesus to be Savior And now we're talking about Jesus as leader, and today we're kind of wrapping up that conversation. Because Jesus, we often say, is the Lord and Savior of our life, the leader and Savior of our life. So it feels appropriate to say, what does it mean for Jesus to be Savior? And now what does it mean for Jesus to be leader? And today is the final one of these pictures that we have up here. And if you've been with us, the last one left is King with the little crown. And so we're going to be talking about what it looks like for Jesus to be our King and for us to step into the authority that Jesus offers us. So let's pray together before we look into God's word. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Jesus, we've been talking about what it means to be led by you, but you are actually here. Your spirit is with us. We're so thankful that you are Emmanuel, the with us God, and that you are present in this place now. And God, we pray that your presence would remain in this school. Oh God, we pray for these kids as they come back to this warm building to learn this week. We pray that you would give them the energy to stay focused God, we pray that you would give the energy to those faculty and those teachers and those staff members and, God, those parents as they prepare for those kids to come home for the summer. God, we, we know that your presence makes a difference. And so we pray in the power of Jesus' name that your presence would make a difference in the school, that there would be things that would happen that are different because of you and because we have the opportunity to be here and to call on your name. So we pray that you'd speak to us today through your word. God, that every one of us would be a little bit different when we leave here than we came in because of one reason, and that is your spirit being present with us. So no matter where we've come from today, no matter what we've gone through, no matter what we had a great week or a difficult week or something in between, God, you know us, you love us, you see us, you're with us, and you want to speak to every one of us. We thank you for that reality. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to start out with a true confession. Who got up early to watch the royal wedding? Be honest. Okay, who T-voted or whatever you call it and watched it a little bit later? I think more people did than are admitting it. And I think it's, it's funny. This is a funny observation. I got up and watched it. My friend Anna, some of you know her, Anna Anderson, she was really excited about watching it. So we got up early, and I was pumped because she said she'd make homemade scones. And that, or scones, or however you say it in British. I don't know. So we, we had scones, and it was good, and we got up, and we watched it, and it, and it was interesting, and, and, and it was fun. And I've noticed that in this last week since the, the royal wedding happened, that there's kind of like three types of people. There's the people who are like, oh, I'm totally watching that. For sure, it only happens every once in a while. And then there were the people that were like, are you kidding me? Saturday morning, why would I do that? And then there were the people that were like, what wedding? Was there a wedding? That was Nathaniel Morton, who showed up on Sunday with a, Brit- with a British flag T-shirt, and was like, everyone's like, high five, cool t-shirt, and he was like, why? What wedding, right? Yeah, he's right there, he's like, today he's like, I'm not wearing anything that looks anything British. But maybe he's a secret fan, jury's out. But I I mean, I think this is interesting, so it's it's fine, we're gonna be all, we've decided that we are pursuing unity and diversity, so whether you are a fan of the royalness and the royals and all the things, or not, or somewhere in the obscure, I don't really know anything about that, we're all together. 
But I hope that nobody's offended by the reality that I'm about to suggest, okay? These royal people have no authority. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Somebody's like just finding this out for the first time. Wait, the queen? But I mean, like no real authority, right? Okay, so I'm not trying to offend anybody, but compared to what it used to mean to be a monarch in a country like Great Britain and, and it, all of its provinces, et cetera, uh, the amount of authority they have is so like minuscule now. I mean, it's, it's nothing. It pales in comparison to what it used to mean to be a king or a queen or a prince or a princess or a duchess or a whatever the things are, the names that people are given. It means so little now. They're, they're in charge of very little. In fact, it kind of seems like a bunch of people are in charge of them now, and they don't actually get to be in charge of even their own life. And so I thought that was so interesting because you, you see Meghan Markle, that was the woman that married Prince Harry. Okay, so she married Prince Harry, so she became the Duchess of Sussex. And that means that she got a new name. She got like a completely new life. She has to like cancel her social media or something like that. Apparently that's a big deal. Everyone's talking about it, except for her because she can't be on social media. And her whole life, her whole life now has to intentionally be put like separate from everyone else's whole life because she's a royal, that's what she is. She is now a royal citizen who has very little authority over anything, even her own life. Today as we talk about what it means for Jesus to be king, I wonder if we behave similarly. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The fact that Jesus is our king seems to change our whole world in some way, right? It's, we take on a new name, we are Christians, little Christ's. We take this name on, but instead of stepping into the world with kingdom authority, we sometimes kind of pull back from the world almost intentionally to kind of live separately from the world, yet it is the world that God's kingdom came into. And so I want to suggest today that we step into the world at times like we have no real authority in the midst of the little kingdoms of the world, even though the kingdom of God is coming in our midst. And this is what I want us to talk about because I want us to wonder together, what if we have more authority than we think? What if the spiritual authority that we have because of Jesus as king is really different than the authority that we often see around us and the power that we often see around us in the little kingdoms? So I want to suggest today that when we understand what it means to be followers of King Jesus, we will realize that we have more authority than we often live into. When we understand what it means to be followers of King Jesus, we will realize that we have more authority than we often live into. When we recognize Jesus as King, we have to see that he is a different kind of king of a very different kind of kingdom. Jesus is a different kind of king of a different kind of kingdom, and as we grow in our understanding of that, it changes what it means for us as citizens of that kingdom. Jesus is like no other leader, no other king, no other sovereign that has ever come before, and his kingdom is like no other kingdom in this world. This is a story that we see all throughout the story of God. From the beginning all the way through, we see this idea of what it means for this, this kingship we see humans trying to, to elect and, and, and want to have all these different types of kings and leaders throughout the big story. We see prophecies in the Old Testament foreshadowing a king of kings, right? A king that's going to be above any other king. And we see actual human kings saying, I'm the king of kings, but they're not. And this foreshadowing of Jesus, who is to become the king of kings, born as a little baby. And then we see all the way to the book of Revelation, the very end of the story, this king, Jesus, sitting on a throne in this new heaven, this new earth, where all things, all the things that are wrong are being made right. 
Do you see how that idea of Jesus as king and his kingship and his kingdom is kind of sewn like a thread all throughout this big God story that we always talk about? And so today I want to look deeper into one specific part of the story. I thought it would be interesting for us to look at a place, one of the only places where Jesus is explicitly saying, yes, I am a king. All right? And so this part of the story is going to be in uh, John 18, if you have a Bible. We'll have it up here on the screen. What's happening in this story is that Jesus has been taken into captivity by these, uh, these Roman soldiers and by the religious leaders. And the religious leaders are kind of parading him around to try to figure out who has the authority to have this guy killed. And at this point in the story where we're jumping in, they're taking him before Pilate. Okay, so we're going to start in John 18, verse 28. And I'm going to read what happens as they take him from Caiaphas, one leader, to the, a, a Roman governor called Pilate in the story, okay? So John 18, verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. Okay, hold on a second. They're so concerned about the uncleanliness of going into this Roman palace, yet no concern about the uncleanliness of their hearts as they're trying to get this guy killed. Let's just point that out from the beginning. So Pilate comes out to them, isn't that nice of him, and says, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied, which he's not. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were... My servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is the truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Do you see the complexity of authority and power going on in this little tiny part of the story? You, you're coming from this leader like Caiaphas into this space with, with Pilate, who is a governor from Rome, and you've got all these religious leaders who are saying, well, we don't have the authority to have this guy killed. Wink, wink, but you do, really powerful guy. All these dynamics going on of what earthly authority and power looks like, these power plays about whose blood is going to be on whose hands. And here they are trying to figure out how to get what they want done without actually having to do it themselves by saying, well, we don't have the authority to do it. And Pilate tries to say, I don't want this on my hands either, right? And he tries to say, do, do what you want, and you guys get to free somebody. Why don't you just free this guy? And they say they want Barabbas. 
Barabbas represents the kind of leader that a lot of people at that time might have wanted. Why? Because he was leading a revolt, a revolution. He was an, leading an uprising. He was the kind of leader that was going to come in with a sword and say, down with these people that are oppressing us, and we're going to take them out if they're going to take us out. And so some people were saying, give us that guy. That guy seems like a strong leader. And so they do. It's a little bit easy to miss here in verse 37 uh, when, when Pilate is saying, so you are a king then? And the way that it's translated in the NIV version, which is just like what I just wrote, read, it doesn't sound as clear about what Jesus is saying. So let me read the NASB version. When he asks him, so you are a king then, Jesus' response, really accurately taken from the Greek, would be, you say correctly that I am a king. So Jesus is saying, yes, I am a king. You say correctly that I am a king. So he is very clearly here acknowledging, yes, I am a king. But then he follows it pretty quickly and says, for this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. And he had just expressed the truth, which is this kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. My kingdom is not from this place, but guess what? It's here. It's here. It's not that it's not amongst us or in our midst, because Jesus had said multiple times, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is amongst us. It's not from here, but it is most certainly here now. And Jesus is talking very explicitly about what that means. But he is saying that he is a different kind of king of a different kind of kingdom. So what's so different about Jesus as king? I think this passage answers in at least a few examples of what it means for Jesus to be a different kind of king. So let's just talk about a few things. The first thing is Jesus is so focused on his mission that he doesn't use the power that he has access to even when it would benefit him. Do you see how he's, he's going before all these little leaders, these little leaders, right? They're, they're peasants compared to the power that he has. They're nobody when it is compared to what it means for King Jesus to be the kind of king that he is. Yet he's being dragged from one kind of, kind of pathetic leader to the next <laughs> with their little version of authority deciding what they're going to do with his life. And he goes along with it. Why? One reason, he knows that this is a part of the way in which he's going to live out the plan that God has to save the world. And he's so focused on what he came to do that he's allowing these people to do this. When he had all the power in the world to come up over these people and say, stop. The second thing I notice about what is so different about Jesus as king is that he's so sure of his true authority that he doesn't defend himself. Do you notice that? Do you notice how when, when he's being questioned, and even before when you read the story back a few, a few um, chapters, you see this questions, 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 and he doesn't defend himself. He just answers what's accurate. What have you done wrong? Let me tell you about my kingdom, he says. <laughs> no, but seriously, what did you do wrong? Well, I'm a king of a different kind of kingdom. How natural is it for us to just jump to defending ourselves? We're just so uncomfortable if we don't get a chance to do that, especially on the internet, it seems. But here Jesus doesn't defend himself because he knows that the authority that he has is at this time from the Father as he's the sent uh, human being version of the, of the Trinitarian God. He's present in the space. He knows his authority. There's no questions about that. And so he doesn't even like bother to defend himself in a space like this because what would it have done anyway? Think about it. I mean, it really wouldn't have done anything. Jesus says, my kingdom, in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. The third thing that I think we see makes Jesus' kingdom so different 
is that Jesus' kingdom doesn't have to submit to the governing principles of the little kingdoms. The kingdom that Jesus leads, the kingdom in which Jesus is the king, doesn't have to, to submit or surrender to the governing principles. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, it's not that that kingdom is not in the world, like we said, but it's not of the world, right? So it doesn't have to obey what the little kingdom's rules are. So he doesn't have to answer for himself. He can, and he doesn't have to defend himself. He can just say what is true. The kingdom doesn't follow the governing principles of the little kingdoms. I'm going to keep saying like the kingdom and then the little kingdoms. Picture like the kingdom, capital T, capital K, and then the little kingdoms. The little kingdoms of this world have these governing principles. And if Jesus' followers were following the governing principles of the little kingdoms, what would they have done? They would have grabbed swords, they would have grabbed shields, anything that they had, and they would have started to fight to defend their leader, right? That is a governing principle of how leadership would work at this time in this little kingdom of Rome. So he's saying here, he's like, listen, let me prove to you how different my kingdom is. Do you see anybody here with swords? If you remember the story, Peter, actually, that was his first instinct was to grab a sword and he cut off a soldier's ear. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Put that down. Put the guy's ear back on. No big deal. Like, it's backwards. It's upside down. It's the opposite. He does not have to submit to the little kingdom's kind of rules or the way things are. And he's pointing that out here. Jesus' kingdom doesn't have to submit to these governing principles of the little kingdoms. After Peter lost his cool, he makes this radical statement by healing the guy and then letting them take him away. But it's important right now for us to recognize that this is not passive. Don't be confused that Jesus is being passive in this time. The kingdom of God doesn't shrink back. The kingdom of God doesn't invite its citizens to run and hide, right? That's what all the disciples did, but Jesus was like, no, stay with me. But they, they hid because they were scared. But his kingdom is not one of timidity, but of power and authority that comes from God. It's different than earthly authority and earthly power. So we know a little bit how the story goes. As the story continues, Jesus does get killed. And since he's a different kind of king of a different kind of kingdom, you're going to get sick of me saying that. Since he is a different kind of king of a different kind of kingdom and doesn't have to obey the little, the little rules and the, the principles, the governing principles of this world, he doesn't stay dead, he comes back to life. Do you see how that's thwarting the little kingdoms thing? He doesn't have to obey those silly, earthly, little kingdom principles, like when you stay dead, you stay dead. Think about that for a second. <laughs> the world says, when this, when this leader dies, he's gone. Sorry that it happened to you. <laughs> and instead, he says, well, we're not under those governing principles, I'm going to come back to life, and I'm going to conquer death, and it's not just about me, it's about all the citizens in my, little king in my big kingdom, and this little kingdom, those rules don't apply to me. I do what I want, because I have authority that's bigger and deeper and more sp and spiritually uh, pervasive than these little leaders and what they're trying to do here right now. Do you see what I'm saying about the difference in the governing principles? So Jesus came back to life, and I think that reality begged some questions about this kingdom of God reality. Some questions that those early followers, and then the ones that were to come pretty soon after, the people who saw him alive and then saw him crucified and then saw him come back to life had some questions to ask, didn't they, about their life and what they were going to do with it. And here we are 2,000 years later, and I think we have some of the very same questions and how we respond and how we answer those questions has some pretty significant ramifications on our lives. 
and what happens as we answer these questions. So there's just, I kind of narrowed it down to three things that I think are the questions that you must ask if it's true that Jesus is a different kind of king of a different kind of kingdom. If you're at least with me on that, then these are the questions I think you need to ask. First, will we surrender to this king and choose to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? Will we surrender to this king and choose to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? This is no small thing. It means you have to give your whole life over to the reign of King Jesus. It's not something we can decide we kind of want to do one day and not the next, in, in a sense, because you have to then renounce the little kingdoms and the authority that the little kingdoms have over your life. You have to renounce it. I mean, for people even to become citizens here in the U.S., they have to take an oath, and part of the oath says, I renounce all the other kingdoms and leaders I've ever had. I went to one of those ceremonies a few weeks ago. To be a true citizen of the kingdom of God, the little kingdoms and their authority in our lives have to be denounced and say, I am not under the authority of the little kingdoms anymore. I am a, first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of God. And this is really hard to do, in my opinion, because I think those little kingdoms, they come in all shapes and sizes, and they're sometimes a little bit sneaky. Some of the little kingdoms are sneaky because sometimes they look like unhealthy relationships. Sometimes they look like other communities in your life that aren't necessarily bad, but those other communities have different governing principles about what they're about. Does that make sense? So let, me, let me encourage you to think about what are the other little kingdoms in your life that kind of vie for your allegiance. So for example, for some of us in our workplace, not necessarily a bad place, God is working in our workplace, but the governing principles of your workplace might be that a high priority is power, is prestige, is uh, making more money, is uh, rising to the top and having more people that you are in charge of. And while none of those things are inherently bad, the kingdom, the kingdom of God principles are pretty different, aren't they? The kingdom of God principles say that while you might be at your job and it's good for you to pursue growth in your job and to go to the next level, and it's okay to take a raise, but that's not the number one reason that you're there. You're there to participate with what God's already doing in your workplace. And everything that you have is God's that you have on loan, and you're deciding how to be a good steward of that stuff, whether it's your time or your money or your resources or your positional authority in your workplace, etc. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying? Nod, nod, it'll make you feel cooler. Okay, so the little kingdoms in your life, I don't know what they are, but we all have them. And they're sneaky, so we don't always realize what they are, but we need to identify what they are because they usually have a governing set of principles that are super different than the principles that the kingdom of God has because it's so upside down and different what Jesus invites us into. Servant leadership, not powering over people. Sharing, not hoarding what we have, right? Little kingdoms could look like actual countries or provinces, for sure, right? Those are examples of little kingdoms. And it's interesting how often we get ourselves in a spot where we think a country like the United States or Great Britain and their royal family who have no authority. Sorry, I'm just really, the people are like offended if I'm going on about the royals. Some people are like, but I'm a really big royals person. We can talk about it later, okay? I feel you. But we get to this place where we think that countries like the United States or Great Britain or others uh, somehow are supposed to act like the kingdom of God and have the same principles. Of course they don't. They're not the kingdom of God. We can hope for some of those principles in our little kingdoms like the United States or others to be more and more like the kingdom of God, but they never will be. 
They're not submitting to the authority overall to the kingdom of God. We are the ones who are citizens who decide if we're going to submit to the authority of the kingdom of God in the midst of the little kingdoms. So we remember our first allegiance is always to the kingdom of God that is in the midst of all the little kingdoms in this world. The kingdom of God has a completely different governing, set of governing principles and a completely different perspective on reality than any of the little kingdoms, and it doesn't make sense for us to ever expect any of the other ones to look like the kingdom of God. How do we get there sometimes? King Jesus only reigns over one kingdom, and that is the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God reigns in the midst of all the little kingdoms with a very different type of authority. When you come to see that all these other little kingdoms in your life are vying for your allegiance, it helps us to let go of that allegiance and surrender to the allegiance of King Jesus. But until we recognize how tightly we're holding on to the allegiance of all the other little kingdoms in our world and in our midst, of which there are many, we can't let go and surrender to the kingdom of God. We have to pay attention to what that looks like. So question one, will we surrender to this king and choose to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? Second question, if Jesus is king of a different kind of kingdom, will we accept our position as heirs and ambassadors of the kingdom of God? These are two of the main words given to us as what our role is in the kingdom of God. We're not just normal citizens in the kingdom of God. We're not commoners or whatever. I don't know, what, what are we? The people watching the royal wedding, the commoners, right? We're not commoners in this kingdom. We are heirs and ambassadors. You got Prince Harry, who's, mar who's marrying Meghan Markle at the royal wedding last weekend, and he's sixth in line to the throne, is that right? His little baby nephew, who's one month old, is closer to the crown than he is, all right? Talk about like a long line of heirs. All right, this is not what we're talking about here. When we say that we are heirs to the kingdom of God, we are alongside Jesus because Jesus lives within us. We are seated with him. It's not about being sixth or seventh or 27 billionth. It's not about that. It's about being an heir to the throne. And when you are an heir, something significant happens about who you are because it means you represent the king. You represent the king where you go. Part of being an heir is to represent the, the crown and to represent the king. Paul says we are ambassadors of the kingdom. Ambassadors, that's a great word because it kind of gives us a clue about how we should behave within all the little kingdoms. We're representing it. We're not against all of them or trying to get into some sort of war with all of them. We are ambassadors sent to say, hey, let me tell you about my kingdom. It's different than this one. Actually, let me show you what's different about this kingdom because I'm a good news person and I live this way and this is what I'm about. There's some different governing principles that have led my life to be different. It's not about being against, it's about representing within. Do you see the difference? So here we are, heirs, ambassadors, and we can't choose when we want to be an ambassador today and not be an ambassador tomorrow. If you were an ambassador from another country and you live in the United States, Every day, you are an ambassador from that country. You don't decide that you're not. You might not have your uniform on, you might not be wearing a pin from your country or something like that, but you are an ambassador day in, day out, when you sleep, when you're awake. Same is true for us. We represent the kingdom of God everywhere we go because we have this new name, Christian, little Christ, Jesus follower, however you want to put it, we've taken on a new name as heirs. And when you read the stories about Jesus, when you read through the Gospels, 
If you're wondering, I haven't read my Bible in a long time. It's been a, it's been a while. Totally cool, no judgment. This summer, start reading through the Gospels. Start reading through the book of John that we're reading through today. When you read through that story, you see that everywhere Jesus went, something happens. People are healed, people who need food are fed, people are set free, people are given a new lease on life, people are forgiven, people are given completely different opportunities than they ever would have. Women are treated like citizens of the kingdom of heaven, even though they were treated like property when Jesus was coming around. Everything changed. When ambassadors of the kingdom of God come around, things should change. Things should be different because we represent the king. Co-heirs and ambassadors, when they come around, things should be different. We are heirs, we are ambassadors, we are children of God. God is our father, but guess what? He's not just like any other kind of dad. Our dad's in charge. Our dad's the boss. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, my dad was a pastor, and my dad's dad was a pastor, and my dad would always tell us these stories. He called them daddy stories, and he'd be like, come, let me tell you a daddy story. And I remember my dad telling this story many times, and he would talk about how when he was a little kid, he'd say, when I was about your age, when I was about nine years old, I would go and work with your dad, now the, or with my dad. Now, the important thing about my grandpa that you should know is that while he was a pastor, he was never paid to be a pastor. He was bivocational, so he served churches without getting paid on the weekends, and then all week long, he was a contractor in New Orleans, Louisiana. So he oversaw different parts of the city that were being rebuilt in different projects. And he started bringing my uncles and my dad out to the work site when they were probably at this point, it would be illegal for them to be there. So my dad would tell us about how when he was nine years old, he got to come out to the work site for the first time, and he was so excited, and he thought, maybe I'll get put in charge of something. And sure enough, one day, a bulldozer was way out on the edge of the property, and it was bulldozing out into the corner of the property, and they didn't have, you know, cell phones and radios and all the, all the things we have now back then. And so my grandpa said to my dad, Bobby, his, he went by Bob, but he said, Bobby, Bobby, run out there and tell that bulldozer to stop. They're about to bulldoze onto the property next to us, and we're going to be in big trouble if that bulldozer keeps going. So you can imagine little scrawny Bobby running out there, nine years old, and he stands in front of the bulldozer and he's like, stop, stop. And the bulldozer guy's like, get out of the way. Move out of the way, kid, I'm doing my job. And he's like, well, I'm put in charge of this. So he keeps waving, stop, stop. And the bulldozer has a lot of power. I mean, it has a lot of power. And the guy kind of inches forward like he's gonna like run over my dad. The story might've got embellished over the years, okay? So the, the, it's, it's, it's leaning forward and it's coming at him. And uh, my dad says, no, no, no. And the guy says, hey, kid, who do you think you are? And he said, I'm Bobby. <laughs> and the guy said, so what? <laughs> and some expletives, which my dad always said naughty words, and he never told me what they were in the story. And he yelled at him, and he said, well, what makes you think that you can tell me what to do? And he said, well, my dad's the boss. And the guy turns down the engine, and it slows down slowly, and he said, well, why didn't you say that in the first place, kid? Because he's nine years old. Little Bobby has no authority. <laughs> that bulldozer has a lot of power. But when little scrawny nine-year-old Bobby runs out in front of a bulldozer with the authority from the boss, that bulldozer has to stop. And my dad would tell us this story and he would say, the important thing you recognize about this story is that you know, not that your dad, Bob, Bobby, is the boss, 
but that you have a heavenly father who is the king, who is the boss, who is in charge. And when that father gives you authority to stop something or to step into some new territory, you have the authority even if it seems like there's more power around you. And he would tell us the story, and I remember as a kid going, I don't get it, but I get it now. Because I know what it's like now to feel like I come against some things in the world, some of the, the brokenness in our city, some of the brokenness in my own life, in my own family, and I feel like I'm just little scrawny Bobby waving his hand saying, stop, stop. I feel like that. And I forget that my dad is the boss, that my father is the king, that he's in charge. It may seem like the power of this world is going to bulldoze us, but make no mistake, we have spiritual authority that is more powerful than any of the powers and authority of this world. If it is in the name of Jesus and Jesus is leading us. So, this leads us to our final question. Will we live out of the authority that is given to us because of our royal lineage? Will we live out of the authority that is given to us because of our royal lineage? Okay, so if we are children of God, we have royal lineage. It's like we all signed up for Ancestry.com and found out that somewhere back there, we came from a royal line. Some of you have done that, and you're like, ooh, whatever country you came from, there were some royals. And then you go on Facebook or Twitter, and you're like, guess what, people? I come from royal lineage. The pop, the pop singer Lord was wrong. I am a royal. It's a joke. And then people are like, like, that's interesting. And then it doesn't matter. <laughs> After that, it's kind of like, oh, that's interesting. But it doesn't really matter. And I kind of like the Lord's song, so whatever. But it matters for us. As children of God, as heirs to the throne, as people who represent the king, as heirs in the kingdom of God, our royal lineage changes everything. Jesus says in Matthew 28, right before he ascended and left the earth physically, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, and now I am sending you. I am lending that authority to you. I'm sending that authority with you. Jesus could have been like, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Peace. I'm leaving you. Good luck. But he doesn't do that, does he? He lends his authority to us as co-heirs to the kingdom of God. His death and resurrection give us royal lineage to be children of God. You guys, we have so little authority on our own. I know on the, the most accurate day, you recognize that. Whether you have a lot of people that you're in charge of or projects that you're in charge of, you recognize, I know I do, I have so little authority on my own. But when it comes to the spiritual authority that we have in Jesus' name, we typically have way more authority than we realize when we step into that authority in the name of Jesus, our mission here at Mill City Church is to love our community in the name of Jesus because that's where the authority comes from. It's not in the name of Mill City Church. It's not in the name of any one of our leaders. It's not in the name of anything because there's no authority in that except for in the name of Jesus. I've gone out with the devoted missional community. So missional communities is group life here at Mill City. And devoted missional community uh, goes out on ministry nights on some Friday nights, and they go and they minister to the women in the adult clubs that we have here in our city. And as they go into these places, they, they befriend these dancers who are there, who certainly are most likely doing more than dancing to make money. And I've gone along with these women when we've gone out to just make friends with these women and to make sure that they know that they're loved and they know that their identity is more than their current vocation. 
And people often ask, maybe some of you have asked, do they just let you go right into those clubs? They just let you walk in there? All you women with a little bit more clothes on than everybody else, you just walk right in there? And usually there's these big bouncers, big powerful bouncers standing by the doors. And they're about to bounce you if you're not supposed to be there, right? And every once in a while, they don't let us in. And then we move on to the next place. But so often, they do let us in. And let me tell you what it feels like in that moment. It feels in that moment so clear that our authority to enter into that club is because there's a kingdom of God in our midst that does not have to submit to the governing principles of this earth. This establishment is not owned by the little kingdoms. And guess what? It's not owned by the kingdom of darkness either. We're walking in there because those women that are working there and those men and other women that are patrons there are loved by Jesus. Jesus sees them the same way he sees us, us as people who he loves and he died to save and wants to lead. They are loved by the same God who gives us authority to enter. So we walk in there because we are daughters of the king. We can be there if the spirit of Jesus lets us be in there. And if the Spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit does not allow us into a place, we move on to the next venue. And when we get there and those bouncers are opening the door physically, it's like Jesus is opening the door spiritually and we walk right in. In the name of Jesus, we have authority to love those women in his name. If Jesus wants us to, we can. There is nothing that can stop us if the Holy Spirit's opening that door so as we kind of close, I want you to think about what areas of your life do you need to live into the authority that King Jesus has given to you? What areas of your life do you need to embrace the authority as a daughter or a son of the king and step into those realities with that authority? Perhaps for you, it's that you need to pray in the name of Jesus against a spirit of fear for you or for your family, or some other thing that's not from God that you know it feels like it's controlling you, but you have authority in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, you can pray over the authority of those temptations that are pulling you away from God. You can't just try harder. You can't. You need the authority from Jesus, or you won't be able to be set free from those things that are tearing you apart inside. You need King Jesus to bring all authority on heaven and earth into those dark places and set you free but you have authority to ask in Jesus' name for this. In the name of Jesus, you can pray through your house if you're having nightmares every night or your kids are having nightmares. Who knows, maybe you just had a weird day and you ate something weird, but it could be a spirit of darkness who's like, well, I'm gonna move in here. No, they can't. They cannot move in. You are heirs to the kingdom of God. They are not, and you can say, get out of here. In Jesus' name, you don't belong here. Those spirits that don't come from God are not heirs to the throne of the kingdom of God. You are. But the authority that comes from Jesus in your life, you can have the courage to take that final next step and talk with that neighbor or that coworker who you've been earning their trust and you can say in the right moment, in the right way, Jesus loves you and I really think he's pursuing you and I know that God has a plan deeper than what's going on in your life. And I don't know when that's going to be or how that's going to be, but I know that you have authority to speak that into somebody's life, even if they don't believe it yet and even if they don't know how. In the name of Jesus, we come into a school like this and we say we are here even though this school is owned by the public school system and is run by the public school system, but make no mistake, the reason we're able to be here is because of God's spirit. It's not because we're so cool or so great and are so good at weathering the heat that they let us come in here. 
You guys, it's because God's spirit opens up that space. And it's because of God's spirit that the Sheridan Story Organization now has over 170 churches going into schools every Friday, praying by name for each kid as they put food in their lockers. That's not because the Sheridan Story has a cool logo. I mean, it is cool, but that's not why. It's because God's spirit is tearing down the walls between the public schools and the church that 10 years ago people would have said were a mile high. Make no mistake that it's about us. Don't get confused that we're so great or powerful or the cool kind of hipper version of Christians. It's because we're stepping into the authority of Jesus and yes, being wise and coming into those spaces with love, but what other wrong things need to be made right in our city, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, that you have authority in Jesus' name and you can pray and you can take actions out of that authority and see that God's kingdom is coming in the midst of those little kingdoms and it changes the reality. What is that for you? We have authority, but it's kingdom authority. There's a lot of powers in this world. There's a lot of forces in this world. There's a lot of people that have power like the bulldozer that wanna just come in and do whatever they want. You work for some of them, right? Like you know what it's like to be in that spot where it feels like you're gonna get bulldozed. Maybe your circumstances in your life feel like a bulldozer coming at you, but you have authority. It doesn't mean that that is more powerful than what God's offering you. Where do you need to claim this authority in your life? I'm going to take a minute just to actually pray and give you some space to ask two questions. Where is the authority that you need to take up in your life and step into something, knowing you have Jesus' authority in your life? And where are the parts of your life that you need to surrender again? to King Jesus. Maybe surrender for the first time to King Jesus. Maybe for the millionth time, it doesn't matter. He'll take you. Where do you need to surrender and where do you need to take up authority? You have to have open hands to pick up the authority that Jesus offers you. So let me just pray and I want you just to listen and I'll create a little bit of space for God to speak to you. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you speak to each person here that you would quiet the enemy and the voice that he has in this space right now, that he has no voice right now in Jesus' name. No voice of shame, no voice of fear. God, your voice would be louder speaking to each person here. Where do they need to surrender to you? And where do they need to take up authority given from you? What area of their life are they holding on to and they need to release finger by finger and give it back to you? Where is fear crowding in and they need courage to step into this space with authority? Authority found only in your name, Jesus. God, I pray that as we go into this time of communion and into this time of worship, you'd continue to speak to us, that none of us would be able to leave without at least one thing on our heart that we can give back to you or authority that we have in a certain area. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray, amen. We're gonna take communion like we always do. You don't have to be a member of Mill City to do that. We just come down these center aisles and then go to one of the two spaces. You take the bread, you dip it into the cup, and then there'll be some people to pray for you on the walls. We'd love to do that. And then finally, I've got one little thing you can take with you. It's a little bit cheesy, but it's a little sticker of one of these crowns like you've seen up on the screen. And I just want to encourage you to take it and to put it on something that you use all the time, 
so that you can remember the authority that you have. Just a little thing, so you can just take one from the table as you pass by. Remember the authority that you have as you come forward and bring maybe to the table those things you need to let go of and pick up that authority as you go back to your seat. And that is the blessing that I want to pray over you today that God's love would crash over your life and wash away the fear and almost force your hands open and surrender so that they're ready to pick up the authority that you have as sons and daughters of the King. May that be true of you in Jesus' name. Amen.